Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 78, if you would, please. Quickly, I'm going to give you some thoughts. I've talked about a lot of mission fields this week. And I'm going to put one more on you. <laughs> one more thought. It's always a joy to pull up to a church and see buses. I'm, are you all using those buses out there? They, okay, amen. Some churches have buses. They've sat there for two years. Nobody's ever used it. But it's a joy to come into a church and see buses because I know you're concerned about young people. Let's talk a little bit tonight about young people. Psalm 78. Verse 1, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. And his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he has established a testimony and Jacob pointed a law on Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children that should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening, and Lord, we... I'm so thankful for what we've heard. Oh, Lord, if this could be duplicated across and triplicated and what have you across the nation, what a thing it would be for America. But Lord, I pray now that you might speak to us. Lord, I pray that you'd set me aside. They don't need to hear my ideas, my thoughts, nothing about me. I'm nothing. Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with the Spirit, speak through me. Lord, uh, minister to us tonight, teach us something from thy word and help us. Lord, uh, the answer to America is sitting in this building tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to each and every one of us and do something, Lord, that would change our lives forever. Help us, Lord. We're helpless people. We're just dust and ash, frail, weak human beings, Lord. Help us, Lord. Have mercy on us and help us. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 78 talks about um, children. And we worked in the inner city of Toledo, Ohio for 11 years, working with uh, children out of the housing projects. And we'd bus them in and a couple nights out of the week and had enough sense to bust the boys in on one night and the girls in on another, another night. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fanatic. I believe youth groups ought to be uh, segregated. I, I think it's, it's much, very helpful if your youth group has you know, a man over the boys and a, and a woman over the girls. Maybe they come together now and then for a special speaker, but... I believe in keeping them divided. Well, we'd bring the inner city kids in, and we'd teach them the Word of God and all that. And um, God burned my heart for young people. I, I remember when we, uh, we got a building down in uh, inner city Toledo, and it wasn't our building. Somebody had it, but they just didn't know what to do with it, and we had the people to fill it and do something with it. So, And a building is just a tool anyway, and we were so grateful to get down there. And I was down there a couple of weeks, and I was wondering, Lord, what would you have us to do? And I remember a period of uh, over two weeks... Uh, Three young black men were shot and killed in the housing projects. And when that happened, the Lord said, you know, yeah, that's where you ought to be. And so we started going to the housing projects and doing a vacation Bible school and um, Bible clubs and so on and so forth. Our heart began to, to break for young people, and I began to think about the need for young people. And uh, young people are so important. Many times we're shooting for the adults. We want to go out soul winning and win an adult. And many times we fail with the children. I'd like to encourage you, Sunday. How many Sunday school teachers do we have here tonight? Sunday school teachers, now keep your hands up. Bus workers, bus captains, 
youth workers involved in, in youth. Listen, let me, let me tell you folks something. You, you, are the, you are my heroes. You're my heroes. You say, well, you know, the evangelists and the preachers. No, listen to me. You Sunday school teachers and youth workers, you're on the front line every week. I mean, what goes on in your Sunday school classroom many times will determine whether those children go to heaven or hell. You're on the front line. And I don't like it when people kind of second-rate Sunday school teachers and youth workers. You know, there are, there are bus captains and bus workers that do more work than pastors do. So I want to encourage you tonight and continue your work with young people. This verse right here we read in Psalm 78, and I'm just trying to you know, pick out a few thoughts here and there. But I'd like you to look at um, verse 5. He says, For he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So there's the responsibility. The fathers teaching the children. Now that happens among Christians, or it's supposed to happen among Christians, right? Where daddy's teaching the children the word of God. But what about that crowd out there whose daddy gets drunk every night? What about that crowd out there whose daddy, like some we talked to today, we knocked on the door of one guy and he opened the door and said, I ain't got time. Oh, we'd like to give you something about the Lord Jesus. He took it and said, I ain't got time to talk. What about the children that comes out of that house? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's our responsibility. I think it's our responsibility. Uh, if, if, if their daddies aren't going to teach them the Word of God, listen, we'll, I'll take a bus over there and pick them up and say, we'll teach them the Word of God. We worked on the housing project. I told that the other night. You know, we got accused of ba- babysitting. You're just babysitting those kids. Hey, I'm taking those kids and teaching the Word of God. Their mama, mama ain't. Their daddy sure ain't, even if they, didn't, they don't even know who their daddy is. Are you talking about these housing projects? I read the account one time where one black man walked past the playground. He said, every time I walk past the play- playground, reach my hand in my pocket and throw some change. He says, because one of them kids might be mine. Ha, ha, ha. See, that's the mentality. Living in the housing projects, the young girls know that if they want to get their own apartment, they want to get their own welfare and, and, and wick and all that stuff, all they got to do is get pregnant. They get pregnant, they get on the list, they get in. They don't care about that child. They don't want to raise that child. They don't care about how that kid grows up. They just want a place of their own to stay. And many times they dump them on granny. Many times they dump them on auntie. So here, you raised my kid for me. I don't want this kid. I just wanted the, I wanted the apartment. That's what goes on in the housing projects. Thank you, Lyndon Johnson, for the great uh, efforts you made in developing the housing projects. Then look at verse 6. He said that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born or should arise and declare them to their children. We need to understand that, um, you know, we think of the mission field. We think of north, south, east, and west, right? You know, you go into church, there's a map right back there with your, with your missions all over the world. That's what we, you, we usually think of missions, and it is. Belarus is a mission. China's a mission. India's a mission. Australia's a mission. But let me also say this. The mission field is not only geographical, it's chronological. The generation that follows us are just as much heathen as they are in Belarus, and they need to be converted too. People have asked me, you know, what, how do you, what, what do you think about, uh, uh, how would you define raising children? I said, well, that's easy. It's the evangelization and discipleship of the heathen. That's raising children. And it's true. You might be raised in a Christian home, but listen, you, just because, young people, listen to me now, just because you're raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. We ran into one of those again today. Are you saying, oh, I've always been a Christian. I was born that way. Oh, no, you're not born that way. You must be born again. So the generation that follows us up needs to be saved just like anybody else around the world. 
Children are a mission field. And when you take those buses out, you're going on the mission field. And uh, I've always thought this. I, I thought, you know, if we could just desire... I want you to think about this. Let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Let me give you something real deep, okay? Here's something really deep. You can write this down if you want to. Here's some philosophy. You can call up your philosophy professor at the university and impress him with this. You ready? Here's a great deep thought. Everyone starts out as a child. Now take a deep breath. I know that's deep. Everyone starts out as a child. He said, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm saying is this. You know, Adolf Hitler probably skipped stones across the Rhine River just like any other little kid. And Jeffrey Dahmer probably rode his little bicycle down the sidewalk like any other kid. And Charles Manson probably cooed in his crib like any other kid. And Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein probably did whatever they do over there like any other little kid. Something happened. Something happened. You know what you Sunday school teachers are? You know what you bus workers are? You know what you youth workers are? You're something that happens. Listen, you ought to be satisfied with being something that happens in the life of a young person. Forget about getting your name in the lights. Forget about getting your, making yourself famous and getting a reputation. You ought to be satisfied like John the Baptist. You know, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Listen, you ought to be satisfied with just being something that happened in the life of a young person. To point them to God and point them away from the devil. That ought to satisfy. Children have a future. They really do. I remember reading a story about a young girl named Mary. And Mary lived before the uh, slave labor laws in early uh, 1800s. And Daddy was a drunk. And Daddy would go out and, you know, and he worked. He'd get a paycheck, spend it all at the bar, come home, you know, bust the door down, find Mama there, no food because he had drunk all the money up, beats her up, sometimes beat the kids up and what have you. So Mama was sick. And little Mary had to go out and get a job and help support the family. And she had to go to work at a factory. And she worked six days a week, 12 hours a day. The average American man couldn't do that without uh, the union going on strike or something. But... She'd work six hours a day, 12 hours a week, and little Mary used to talk about going to that factory, and she'd walk, you know, down the street, and there was a crazy lady that lived on the, on the street, and I always want to talk about Jesus, you know. Little Mary, in some accounts, said she used to go the other side to avoid this lady, but the lady would make some biscuits. And boy, they didn't have much to eat, so she'd always go in and eat those biscuits, and when she got in that house, that lady would talk about Jesus. Little Mary didn't like to hear about that at first, but after a while she got to listen and she said, yeah, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. He said, all right, preacher, here's a little 12-year-old girl, 13, 14, whatever, and now she's a Christian, working six, six days a week, 12 hours a day in a factory. What in the world can God do with somebody like that poor little girl? Let me tell you what God did with that poor little girl. He took her over to Calabar, West Africa. I'm talking about Mary Slessor. She became one of the greatest missionaries we've ever known. They called her the White Ma over there. She'd find out if two tribes were going to have a war, and she'd find out where they were going to fight and stand the battlefield before they got there and keep them from killing themselves. She'd pick up the babies that they discard alongside the road because of some birth defect. That's what God could do with little Mary. I used to tell my inner city kids, I said, look, I don't care if your mama's in jail, I don't care if your daddy's in prison, I don't care if your brothers and cousins are in the gangs and on drugs, that don't mean you have to be that way. Listen, you give your life to God, he'll, he'll take you around the world a hundred times if he wants to. There's no limitation with God. They have a future, man. God can, God can do some things with them. And, of course, I heard an account of another little boy named Johnny. And Johnny, he, uh, he was from the wrong side of the tracks, if you know what I'm talking about. And uh, But little Johnny started coming to Sunday school, and he loved Sunday school. He was there four weeks in a row. Got to the place where he almost wanted to sit on the teacher's lap. Just loved Sunday school. 
But the uppity-ups in the church, that's the people that have the money and think they're important. Let me say that again. The uppity-ups in the church are the ones that have money and think they're important. It ain't your money that runs the church. I'm a millionaire. I support this church. Get out. I'll show you what God can do. Amen. But anyway, the uppity-ups in the church got, got all excited and, and upset, you know, about this, this rough little boy. And they came to the Sunday school teacher one Sunday, and they said, uh, so you got that little Johnny in your class. She said, we don't want that little Johnny mixing around with our children. And that Sunday school teacher says, she said, look, that little Johnny is just as important to me and just as welcome in this class as your children are. And they had this discussion. But little Johnny was standing right behind the door when this thing went on. And first chance he had, he bolted out the door, ran down the hallway and out. Sunday school teacher reported that she had tried to follow up and could never get a hold of him and prayed for him for a while, but she said, I actually forgot about him. Until I picked up my newspaper one morning, I think it was July 28, 1935. There's Johnny right on the front cover of the page. He'd walked out of the Biograph Theater in Chicago, Illinois with a lady dressed in red. Johnny Dillinger. I wonder what God could have done with Johnny Dillinger. Listen, young people have a future. Young people are a mission field. We need to reach young people. Let me give you one more thing and we'll be done. Genesis chapter 21, go there. I don't know who this is for tonight. I really don't. Maybe the Lord's been speaking to some hearts here. Maybe uh, with this meeting going on, you've, you began to think and say, you know, I, I'd like to do something for God. And the Lord always taps your heart when, he, when you see a young person. Say, you know, you could do something with these young people. I'll tell you who young people really like. They like young guys. Oh, man, if you're a young man, they'll jump on your head. They'll jump on your back. They'll wrestle with you until you're plum tuckered out. They love young, young guys to minister to them. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Do you, have, do you have all those buses running out there? Do you need a bus driver? Need another bus, okay. Maybe some of you have that ability. So, oh, preacher, I'm, I'm too old to, to get involved in, in youth ministry and bus and all that. Well, maybe you can help buy another bus. Maybe you've got some kind of mechanical ability that can work on that thing and get it going. I think important. I think children are important. I think a lot of times we uh, look at them as people just get in our way. Genesis chapter one twenty one. Let me let me ask you this: Do you think God loves children more than He loves loves adults? There's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> Do you think God loves children more than He loves? You said, preaching. Now wait a minute. Theologically, God has to love everybody the same. Really? How about bibliology? <laughs> what does the Bible say? Let's, let's see what God says. This is interesting. Genesis chapter 21, you all know the, if you read your Bible, you're familiar with the story that Sarah, of course, um, didn't have a child for a long time. God had promised them a child. They didn't have a child. So what Sarah said to Abraham one time was, let's help God fulfill his promise. There's this Egyptian woman. Why don't you have a child by her? Don't ever let God, don't ever try to help God fulfill his promises. My, my children get up and play these instruments. My daughter plays that piano. Beautiful. You know what happened if I helped her? <laughs> It would be a mess. Listen, if God promises something, he'll do it in his time, his way. Don't try to help him. He'll just make a mess out of it. But uh, they made a mess out of it, had this child named Ishmael, and right after that the Lord said, okay, I'm ready to give you a baby now. Oops. 
And then Isaac was born. Of course, the two were growing up together, and it got to that place where Sarah just couldn't stand that Ishmael. And eventually she says in chapter 21 to uh, Abraham, get that bondwoman out of here. In verse 14 of Genesis chapter 21, it says this, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. Now ask yourself a question. Where did he send her to? Well, there's a Walmart right down the road. No. Well, there's 7-Eleven, right? You all got 7-Eleven around here? Okay. Send her to the 7-Eleven? No, there wasn't no 7-Eleven down there. Where is he going to send her to? He was sending her out in the wilderness. The equivalent of Death Valley. Sending her out. With the only hope that God might do something. Sent her out to die. Gave her some water and some bread and said, there you go. That's not what I'm preaching about. Here, look, look, here, get this. It said, And she departed, the rest of verse 14, and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15, And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were, a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. Now get the picture. Here's a bush over here, and she sets Ishmael down. He's probably about 16, 15, 16 about this time. Sets him down around that bush there and says, Now you sit there, son, and, and uh, look over that way, and you'll get some shade from this shrub. And knowing he's going to die there. And she goes about a bow shot, 40 or 50 yards over this way, and she finds her a shrub, and she sits down, and uh, she's ready to die, and they're both crying. If you read the context, both of them are crying. I want you to see something. Let's see who God heard. Verse 17. And God heard the voice of who? The lad. There were two of them crying. That last verse before that said, She wept. Here it says the, 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 the lad was weeping. The Lord heard the voice of the lad. Let's continue on. The angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad. Two of them crying, but God says, I hear the boy. I hear the boy. I reckon the boy had more of a touch on God's heart than she did. And I say that to say this. There are a lot of young people, I imagine, in this community that have wept, and God's heard their cry. I'll, I bet you that uh, uh, sometime this week or over these holidays or maybe last weekend, I'll, I'll bet you, if I were a betting man, I'm not, but if I were a betting man, I'd bet you that uh, somebody uh, in this community, some young man got involved in crime for the first time. He's going to be cool. He's going to be with his buddies, you know, and went out and got involved in some kind of crime, maybe the gang's. When he got home and realized what he'd done, I bet he laid down his pillow and just cried his eyes out and said, Oh, God, why did I do that? I bet you there was some young man this last weekend or over these holidays that got drunk or got high for the first time. Going to be cool with his buddies. But went home and got by himself and cried his eyes out because of the guilt. Thought, why did I do that? Why did I get involved in this? Well, I bet you sometime over the last weekend and sometime maybe over this holiday, some young lady went out and lost her purity. Tried to please a boy. And went home that night and cried her eyes out, realizing she'd lost something she could never get back. And I'm telling you, God heard those tears. He said, Preacher, that was their fault. I know it's their fault. I know they did it. But 
God still heard their tears. So, all right, God heard their tears. So what, preacher? God heard their tears. Now he wants to do something about it. So what's he going to do? He's sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, right now. Is he going to come down and drive these buses out here? Is he going to come down and work on the thing and get it running and then start it up and put the gas in it and take it out and drive it? I don't think so. He didn't have to because his body's down here. We are his hands and feet, amen? God hears the voice of these children crying out. You probably have housing projects in this community. You probably have gangs in this community. You probably have poor folk in this community. And God says, I hear them crying. Why don't you get in that bus and do something about it? Why don't you volunteer in the youth group? Why don't you volunteer in Sunday school? Why don't you do something about it? Oh, you're not called to be a missionary. You're not called to be an evangelist. You're not called to be a pastor or a teacher. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about the young people. You complain about them running across your grass and messing things up. Everything about trying to reach them for Christ. I think young people can get saved. Let me give you one more and I'll be done. Go to Mark. I think it's chapter 9. I hope it's chapter 9. No, it's not. Someone help me. Where is the reference in Mark? Where? No, that's it. That's Mark chapter 9. That's it. Verse 33. Jesus is... Uh, actually, his disciples were having a little uh, argument as they walked down the road. and I don't believe the Baptist church began in the Gospels. The writers do. I, I don't believe that. I believe it started somewhere between John 21 and Acts chapter 2, most likely in Acts chapter 2. But if I had to prove that there were Baptists in the, in the Gospels, I could do it right here. Verse 33, they're fighting. The disciples are fighting. And they're fighting about who's going to be the greatest. Sounds like Baptist to me, amen. Then verse 35 says, He sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be the first, same shall be last of all and servant all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms... He said, I'm going to get the picture. Here's Jesus. I'm going to give you an example now. And he takes a child and he sets that child, hug, puts that high, you know, hug around that child, you know, probably sets him on his knee or what have you. He took a child. No, what color was that kid, by the way? Look, look in, your, in your verse or in your text there. What, what color was that kid? See it? What color was that kid? He said, Preacher, I don't see it. Well, maybe we need to go into Greek, huh? <laughs> Listen, I'm a King James Bible believer. I think these people go to the Greek are wasting their time. We talk about inspired English translation and still have the stupidity to go to the Greek to try to prove something. Duh. If it's inspired in the Greek, you use the English, right? I'll use a Webster's 1828 before I'll use anything else. Other than the Bible, the Bible defines itself. But you know, even if you did go in the Greek, it wouldn't be there. It doesn't tell us what color that kid is. Reckon it wasn't important. I said, I said this morning, I'll say it again, I am sick of Christian racism. My Bible says every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe will be around that throne and up in heaven. You better learn to love folks of every different color. It ain't the color of their skin, it's whether they're saved or not, amen? 
And if they're saved, they're my brother or they're my sister in Christ. That's not the point. Look at, look at verse 37. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Whosoever, he said, shall receive one of such children of my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. That's an interesting statement. You know, sometimes interpreting your Bible, you can do something called contrast and comparison. Sometimes you compare Scripture with Scripture to get the idea. Sometimes you contrast. For example, you'll take a word like receive. What's the opposite of the word receive? Reject. Verse 37, Whosoever shall reject one of such children in my name, rejecteth me. And whosoever shall reject me, rejecteth not me, but him that sent me. In Toledo, Ohio, twice, one middle-class church, and I'll be just, I'm done. One middle-class church got a burden. Somebody got a burden for inner-city kids. So they sent their buses out, and they would fill them up with inner-city kids, and they'd bring them back to their nice church. But the people began to look around, and there were fingerprints on their nice white walls, and there was gum under the pew seats, and the bathrooms got very dirty. And the people said, we don't want these kind of children in, in our church. Get them out. Twice they tried it, and twice this church stopped it. They weren't rejecting the young people, according to that verse right there. They were rejecting Jesus. And that church to this day is a mess, a doctrinal mess. And let me say this in closing. If this church, and you've got a nice church here, a nice church building and all that, but listen to me, if this church here ever gets too clean and too nice for dirty little sinners to come in, or dirty old sinners on that matter, you might as well write Ichabod across the front door and go get a real job. When sinners are not welcome to hear the gospel and get saved, when young people are just too dirty and too messy, get out of the ministry. All I'm asking you to do tonight is just consider the young people. Consider the young people. Maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart tonight. Maybe you could fix the buses out there that aren't working. Maybe you could buy or help buy a new one. Maybe you can volunteer your time. Maybe you got some kids in your neighborhood that are giving you fits, but you never thought about trying to win them to Jesus. Young people are a mission field. They need the gospel just like anybody.